I want to share some of my thoughts about the English language. It's the most universal language in the world. It's not spoken by the most people, but it's spoken in the most places by more people. I remember hearing someone say, it's the hardest language to learn, and I do not doubt that at all. Okay, so let me get started. Okay, the Kenite took his knife because he knew he could win without his sword. Now, who thought silent letters was a good idea? You know, we've got February and Wednesday, and we need to listen, especially if we go to the depot, but make sure that you look out for gnats. Okay, and that's probably the, the wrong answer again. G's, now that's a big one too. The green giant. Why not the green giant? Or the dream giant? The CH, you know, that can go whatever way. You know, because you go to church on Christmas. You don't go to Kirk on Christmas. And you don't go to church on Christmas. So, I know I could take a hike on my bike, but I won't wear my Nikes. Or is it Isle, I-S-L-E? Or is it Isle, A-I-S-L-E? Why doesn't the second one get pronounced differently? Now, I know there's different things, but good food, shouldn't that be right? Or good food? And we drove from Kansas to Arkansas. Hmm, where is this going to end? And my brother's name was Thomas, and we had a friend named Theodore. Both start with T-H. You know, you can plumb. You might end up hurting your thumb, but it's all pretty dumb. Won't. Now, where did that word come from? Okay, do not is don't. Uh, could not is couldn't. But shouldn't it be wilt if it's an abbreviation for will not? I don't know who came up with that one. And then there's a Christian thing too. You know, we Christians like to say we are blessed. Now, we don't talk about getting dressed before we go to church and having to press it your shirt. Now, here's a few of many to close out this, whatever it is. Present or present, live or live, produce or produce, base or bass, read or read, wind or wind, minute or minute. And I struggle with further and farther and then and then. You know, in Genesis 11, God did a really good job when he made us babble. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you are in charge and you are in control. And Lord, we can make a big enough mess of things even when you still are in control. So Lord, help us to give every part of our lives to you. And Lord, help us to to see 
uh, through your word that you're still speaking to us today. Even though you spoke originally in different languages, you're speaking to us in whatever language we speak. So, Father, open our ears, our minds, and our hearts as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so today I'm going to start with chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. It picks up where chapter 1 ended. And why is this line of thinking divided into two chapters? Well, once upon a time, long, long ago, the divisions of books of the Bible into smaller sections started in the 4th century A.D., what, 18 centuries ago. The person responsible for dividing the Bible into chapters and verses, that's Stephen Langton, an Archbishop of Canterbury. The ancient original manuscripts in Hebrew and Greek for the New Testament didn't contain such edits. Langton put the modern chapter divisions into place around 1227. The Wycliffe English Bible of 1832, or excuse me, 1382, was the first Bible to use this chapter pattern. Since the Wycliffe Bible, nearly all Bible translations have followed Langston's chapter divisions. Okay, so Colossians 2 starts out as a completion of chapter 1. And in verse 1, Paul tells us, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those of Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. <coughs> Excuse me. Contending. Hmm. It means Paul is struggling. He's fighting. You know, he's trying to get the right things done. And Paul wanted the Colossians to know that he was with them in their battles. Now, Laodicea. Hmm, where have we heard of that place before? Ah, yeah, one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. So that's not the only place that we hear about it, in case you wondered. And Colossians was written about 30 years before John's revelation. So this letter was apparently to be shared with the believers there. Verses 2 and 3. Paul says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. So Paul had one goal in every a letter that he wrote, and that was to strengthen your relationship with Christ. You know, your relationship may be strong, but it can get stronger. It may be weak, but it can be strengthened and build up. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's best done by gaining wisdom and knowledge of who the Lord is. Now, if you remember from the last podcast, the mystery of God that Paul is talking about is the fact that few people knew about God and who he really is. 
The Gentiles did not have the wisdom and the knowledge that the Jews had because the Jews had been learning about God and who he was forever, but not the Gentiles. So in verse 4, he goes on to say, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. You know, those sneaky false prophets, those snake oil sellers, they love to tell people half-truths. You know, some things never change. I've been rereading Frank Peretti's book, The Visitation, and it's an interesting book, all fiction, but it talks about this guy that comes to town and kind of ends up everybody thinking that he's Jesus. Jesus has come back and everything that he's doing, and he's taking advantage of that and taking advantage of the people. And that's what happens, you know, with some of our churches today. Somebody comes in and gives them a half-truth and they jump all over it. That's how we get people like uh, Jim Jones and, and others that lead people away from the Lord. So in verse 5, Paul says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, <clears throat> Excuse me, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I am absent from you in body, but present with you in the spirit. That sound familiar? First Corinthians five three tells us basically the same thing in Paul's letter there. Disciplined? Oh who likes to be disciplined? Well, this is a good discipline because it's making things orderly or dignified. Well, in verses six and seven, Paul starts in a different direction. As he says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. <coughs> Excuse me. Rooted and build up in him. Strengthened in faith as you are taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. This is a good word for all of us, especially today. Rooted and built up. Rooted. Different kinds of trees have different root systems. Now there's three different root systems. The first one is the tap root system. Okay, the tap root is one that grows almost straight down and it stabilizes the tree. Now the second one is the lateral root which grows out horizontally and it's not very stable in high winds. And the third is the heart root system. Okay, that's a combination of the first two. And so that tree is very stable because it has a root growing straight down to give it the stability. It has the, the roots growing out that uh, help to keep it stable as well. So that's how our faith needs to be. Have deep roots giving us a firm foundation and growing out horizontally to reach others. And then he says we need to be overflowing with thankfulness. <coughs> okay, we need to be abundant 
had more than enough to spare, exceeding. If we think about what Jesus has done for us, man, that is breathtaking. That root system is well-named for Christians, the heart root system. That's what we need. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. This was an issue in Colossae. It's a place where there are many different cultures, many different beliefs, a lot of idol worship, people trying to, you know, get over on you. Uh, when he says, see to it, he's putting the ball in your court. Okay, you need to be mindful. You and you alone are responsible for what you believe. In verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, For in Christ all the full fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Okay, brought to fullness. That means it's been accomplished. It's complete. It's full. Now, many think they are complete. When? You know, just when I get this degree, you know, that's just what I need. Or, you know, I interviewed for this job, and if I get this job, you know, I'm just going to be on top of the world. You know, when I get married, you know, that's going to be great. You know, I'll have a, a partner that him and I or her and I can work together and just do some great things. Or, you know, when we have kids... You know, that's going to make us complete. You know, we'll be a family. It won't be just me and you, but it'll be, you know, one, two, six others. And so, you know, then things will be complete. Then I will have accomplished what I planned. I will have accomplished what I have been dreaming about. Well, Paul tells us we are not full. We're not accomplished. We're not complete until Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And remember, it doesn't matter who's the king or the president or the prime minister. Jesus is still the king of kings. Verse 11 and 12. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. A couple really important things in these two verses. First of all, your whole self was ruled by the flesh. Another way of saying we were ruled by the world. We were ruled by its ways. We were ruled by sin. You know, we weren't making the right choices because we are falling into so many other outside influences. The second thing is when Paul is talking about baptism, don't get confused. Okay, The way he has worded it, it may lead you to assuming something that is bad theology. Some people, some churches, some denominations tell us that salvation comes through baptism. 
No, 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 it does not. Okay, in the United Methodist hymnal, there's a baptism, baptismal covenant one, section one. The pastor is to make this statement. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. Okay, we can go there. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through the water and the spirit. No. Okay, not true. Doesn't happen. All of this is God's gift offered without price. To finish that statement up. I would always point out to parents wanting their child to be baptized, the error of this statement. We would go through the, the baptismal covenant, and I would point out to them, no, this isn't true. Well, in verse 12, Paul gets it right because he's talking about immersion baptism, having been buried with him in baptism. Okay, When the person is immersed, that's an act of showing that you're being buried with Christ, okay? In which you were also raised up with him through your faith. Okay, when that person comes up out of the water, it symbolizes new life. But you must be told about the salvation thing that doesn't save you. <clears throat> Verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins... In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Okay, when we were dead in our sins and alive with Christ, if you've not experienced this in your life, you're going to have eternal death because it, it says the death and resurrection of Christ has canceled the charge of our indebtedness. But we have to accept that. We have to accept Christ and begin that relationship <coughs> Excuse me for that to happen. So what's that about anyways? You know, having canceled the charge of our indebtedness. Well, I picture it like this, okay, that your life has a, a lifetime bill or a lifetime tab, and it has to be paid. You know, back in the day, uh, you would go to the general store and buy a few groceries or, you know, some ammunition or whatever it might be, and the owner would put it on your tab. And then when you got paid, you go in and pay off your tab. Okay, well, at birth, you don't have a negative balance. Okay, but when you're born, you're already in the hole. Psalm 51.5, David tells us, Surely, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And Paul tells us in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin has entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way came to all people because all have sinned. So we start out with sin on our bill. 
And as we live, that bell or that tab gets longer and longer. And it's going to have to be paid someday. And that someday is when you die. So if we give our lives to Christ, he pays it for us. Okay, he pays that debt. And if we don't have a relationship with Christ, we pay. And what it's going to cost us is an eternity in hell. So you want to wipe that slate, you need to have Jesus be the one that you're following after. <coughs> Excuse me. I like verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus was crucified on that Good Friday, that day and the next day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the church leaders, they were partying. Okay? They were celebrating because they got rid of this thorn in their sides. They got rid of the one that a lot of people were believing in and following and listening to. And so they were having a great time. You know, he's, he is gone. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Let's move on. But Sunday was coming. And when it came, they all looked like fools. They lied. They tried bribing to, to cover up the truth. And anything that they could do to have people think that Jesus wasn't really resurrected. You know, he wasn't really the Christ. He wasn't really the Messiah. Because they wanted to save face with the Jews. They wanted people to come back to them and be listening to them. Didn't happen. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and wor the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. Okay, what Paul is talking about here is found in greater detail in Romans 14 and 15, but he's talking about those with weak faith can be led astray by what we believers do or what we don't do or what we say and then don't follow up on it. So at the same time, like he says here in Colossians 2, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival. We should not be judged if we're doing what we believe the Lord wants us to do, even if that does not agree with what they believe. Okay, we're to try to do things that don't trip up somebody that has weak faith, but if we know that we're following what the Lord wants us to do, that's got to come first, not the judgment of other people. Like he says in verse 17, our reality comes from Christ. Okay, but he's talking about the worship of angels, something that maybe sounds foreign to most of us, but in Paul's day, 
Some believed the only way to worship God was through angels because of the vast difference between man and God. Okay, obviously there is a vast difference between man and God, but you're not going to get there through angels. Okay, Jesus said he's our mediator, and through the Holy Spirit, that's how we connect with the Lord, not through an angel. Okay, this is something like something that we know is is wrong. It's a man-made thought or a man-made rule. And unfortunately, there are people and churches that still believe and practice this. Well, he says it's going to disqualify. Okay, to someone, to have someone say to you that you're not saved because you didn't do it their way. Okay, there's a lot of that going on. You know, you've got to be following the law and on top of that, believe in Christ, or you have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not the way it's set up. I like what Paul says in verse 19. They have lost connection with a head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Hmm. Lost the connection with a head. If the body or part of the body is not connected to the head, there is disaster. Game, these people are not following Christ. So they should not be judging anyone who is following Christ because they're wrong in what they do. Well, this is how cults get started. Okay, someone believed what they wanted and then they put their own spin on it. Okay, like I said before about the false teachers and people just anxious to follow them because it just sounds easier than all this Christian stuff. Okay, I, I still kind of consider myself a Christian, but, you know, I believe in the Bible, but I believe in this too. So you've got to be connected to the head. You've got to be connected to Jesus. Verses 20 and 21, Since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Died with Christ. That's the act of being saved. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because when that happens, we're dying to our old self. So we died to the world. And Paul asks a good question. If we're followers of Jesus, why are we still following some of the world's rules. I think in some cases, the rules of religion. Some can really conflict with God's word. Verses 22-23, these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. <coughs> Excuse me. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Destined to perish with use. Paul's talking about our stuff. Okay, let me give you those two verses from the message. 
says, do you think things that are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? Some things sound impressive, if said in a deep voice. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and austere. But they're just another way of showing off, making yourselves look important. Look important, not really important at all. And I like the, the deep enough voice. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that really is true. <coughs> Excuse me for my voice. It seems like we listen a little more closely to a teacher or a boss or a pastor or a coach that speaks with a deeper voice. It sounds more authoritative, sounds more in charge. It's kind of like the wimpy, 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 hefty, hefty, hefty. You know, we get caught by the hefty, hefty, hefty part, you know, and that's what we sometimes follow after somebody that, you know, just really sounds good in what they're saying. <coughs> Excuse me. This last verse is speaking to just what the false teachers are trying to accomplish. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It's all about you. Hey, if it feels good, do it. You only go around once in life. You really deserve this, you know? The Church of Colossae doesn't sound a whole lot different than what we're seeing in our world today. That's a problem. Too much world in the church. So I want to speak to those that know this and believe this, but sometimes we kind of slip away from it ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. We get more involved in what the world's doing, what the world's saying, and not enough involved in what God is saying and what God wants us to be doing. So, Lord, I just lift my brothers and sisters up in prayer and just pray that, you know, you'll pull them back to you and they'll go back to their, their first love and realize that they've walked away. You haven't moved, but they've moved some. So, Lord, draw them back to you. And, Lord, I lift up anybody that, that doesn't know you that may be listening to this. They Lord, they know they need something in their life different than what they've got right now. They've been trying to make their life complete through uh, their job, through their family, through sex, through drugs and alcohol, and none of that's really worked. And so none of it really will work until they have you as their Savior. So Lord, let them pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for Jesus, who died for my sins. Thank you for Jesus, who rose from the dead. Thank you for Jesus, who's coming again. Lord, help me to love in the ways that you want me to love and grow in you and be the person you need me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>